Well, good morning and welcome to Catalyst. My name is Dave. If you're visiting here, I'm one of the pastors here. Thank you for joining us online. And you guys just saw the fathers in the field, <clears throat> excuse me, um, and if the qualifying boys are between 7 and 17 uh, with no father involvement. Uh, there are pretty strict guidelines there. Um, and so if that is you or that is someone you know, we would love to hear from you. Uh, if you are a, a man that doesn't really feel like, you know, maybe music's not your thing or preaching's not your thing, or, or that, but you do know how to do some of that stuff and you could be a positive influence in the life of a, of a, of a boy without a father, we definitely want to talk to you. Well, this is a uh, a big ministry that we're just getting ready to kick off next week. I want to invite everyone who is interested in fathers in the field, whether you're a mentor father or you're a single mom with a, with a child or you know someone, uh, we are going to be having a lunch downstairs after church, immediately after church, fully provided just for information. So we want to invite you to that as we kick off this amazing ministry. All right, so we are starting a brand new series today. If those of you all that know, <clears throat> we have a year-long theme. This year-long theme is God first. That's it. We're going to look the entire year at putting God first. We just got done with our, with our first series about that, and this that was about us. Now we're moving into what does a church that puts God first look like? And I realized that in 2020, 2021, we had a lot of people, had a lot of turnover, a lot of new people coming in, a lot of people, just a lot of reshuffling the deck. We planted a church, and, and people uh, went over there, like 50 people went over there, and it was awesome. They're doing great. Um, and then lots of new people are coming in. So we need to get everyone on the same page. Well, this is what we value as a church over the next several weeks. This is the next series. And so, uh, so we're starting off today with a faithful church. And the main thing today is this, an essentials unity and not essentials liberty and all things love. And I'll explain what that is. All right, so um, with the, like I said, with, the, with a lot of the new folks that are coming in, and we love you, I'm glad you're here, but uh, uh, we've got to get everybody on the same page. So it's called the church that puts God first. Now let's say that you were born on a desert island and you'd never been to church, and you'd never met another Christian, you'd never had to beat the Baptists of Cracker Barrel after church, you never had to do any of that stuff. You'd never heard a hymn, you'd never seen a pipe organ, you'd never seen a guitar, you'd never seen anything that we identify with as church. And all of a sudden, one day, a Bible washes up on the shore, and you start to read it. What would you think, after reading the Bible several times, what would you think church would be? That's the question. If you had never been to church, you never heard of a Methodist, you never heard of a Baptist, you never heard of a Presbyterian, you never heard of a Catholic, you never heard of anything like that, what would you think church would be like? Well, having never heard a sermon, never sent a Christian song, never met another Christian, having only the Bible as your guide, what does it mean to be a Christian? Well, that is what several people back in the 1800s set out to start off. They, they were concerned, they were dismayed by the disunity they saw in the body of Christ, and they began to say, what would it look like if we simply were Christians? We're not going to be Methodists, not going to be Baptists, not going to be Presbyterians, as wonderful as everybody is. But what does it look like just to be Christians? And out of the Cambridge Revival in Bourbon County, yeah, that's where I, it started, what's called the Restoration Movement of the Christian Church, that we are a Christian church. We were birthed there, all right? So what they, they, they assembled themselves around a creed that said, in essentials, unity, in not essentials, liberty, in all things, love. And so what, what uh, our, our movement identifies as essentials, we got to agree on. 
what we say is not essentials, we don't have to agree on. But we have to, in all things, be loving. So what are the essentials? What are they? A church that puts God first has got to make sure they got the essentials in line. Well, there are two of them. The first one is this. The Bible is the word of God. Plain and simple, Bible's word of God. Uh, in 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17 says this, all scriptures God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is a starting point for our faith. If you do not believe the Bible is a word of God, then there's no further point in listening to anything we are doing. Because if you do not believe that, there's no basis for belief in Jesus. There's no basis for a belief in his claims of being the son of God. There's no reason you should follow anything he says any more than any other teach like Confucius or something like that. Uh, you have no foundation for your faith and therefore your faith is whatever you want it to be. That is where so many people are today. As soon as they remove the Bible as a word of God, then their faith becomes whatever they prefer. And that is not what Jesus came here to teach or to do. Okay, that is not the Christian faith. That is watered down new age spirituality. That's what that is if you do not believe the Bible is the word of God. Therefore, to be a Christian, you must believe the Bible is the word of God in faith. Churches that dismiss the Bible as the word of God, who cast doubt on its origins, who give the same credence to it as, a, say, the Book of Mormon or the, or, or the Quran, etc., don't become more faithful. They don't become closer to Christ. They don't. They, become, they don't become more holy. They become more worldly. If we were as a church to forsake the Bible as a, son of, as a word of God, we would not become more faithful to God. We would, start, uh, we, we would simply look like the world. That's not Jesus' uh, desire for his church. Okay? Adopt the, we, we would simply adopt the beliefs of the dominant culture and put a, a, a religious spin on it. So the, uh, our sermons are read more and more like the front page of the New York Times. Uh, like the, and commercials from Madison Avenue than they would anything that Paul or Timothy or Peter or any of the people that lived in Bible times would recognize. Okay, This is why here at Catalyst, you will always hear the Word of God. You will, uh, you will never hear a sermon that is not based on the Bible. Uh, you will never see a core belief of ours that has not been Bible tested. Okay, God's Word is a lamp to our feet and a light into our path. And as the psalm says, and that will never change, that is the de defining essential of the church. Okay, if we're going to stay faithful to God, we have got to agree that the Bible is the word of God. Second thing is this. The second essential is this. Number, is that salvation is found only in Jesus Christ. That's it. It's John 14, 6. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, this is one of the most offensive claims the Bible makes. It really is. Um, it's the first thing, it's the thing that, that made even the enlightened emperor Marcus Aurelius. Every time I hear Marcus Aurelius being lauded as this great grand emperor, I have to remind people that he was one of the most vicious persecutor of Christians. And the reason he was the most vicious persecutor of Christians was he felt that people like you and me were obstinate and illogical because we would not accept the fact that other gods were equal to Jesus. That was his main problem. He had no problem with Jesus being God as long as everybody else recognized all the other ones too. And these Christians came in and said, no, we, we, these gods are illegitimate. These, these idols and these, these statues you're worshiping, they are not legitimate. Jesus is the only way. And that's why Marcus Aurelius went after them so hard. Okay? So that, this is the most offensive claim uh, that, uh, that, that the Bible makes. Most people in America would like for us to have a Hindu-type faith. 
What do I mean by that? Well, over in India, I've been there five times. We've had remarkable success in bringing people to Christ. We really have. It's amazing how many people. I mean, I can preach a sermon and 70, 80 people, boom, want to become Christians right there, want to be baptized. And we think that's wonderful. It's amazing until we realize that after being baptized, after accepting Jesus, they put Jesus up on the shelf with the other 10 gods their household worships. Jesus is just another God. They don't forsake the others. That's, that's, and that's what most Americans would like us to do. Uh, they, they would love for us to be faithful to Jesus as long as we recognize everything else too. And the problem is, like I said, the problem, isn't it arrogant to say that Jesus is the only way? Dave, you are so arrogant. Are you saying that all those other people are wrong? Are you that arrogant to tell that the, the millions of people that don't follow Jesus that they're wrong? Well, isn't it amazing? See the subtle shift in that argument. They're trying to make an emotional argument, not a logical one. Is it arrogant for me to say that two plus two is four? No, it's either right or wrong. Plain and simple. Either Jesus is the only way or he's not. It's either true or false. It's not arrogant. Okay, see the subtle shift. I respond by saying this. Like I said, is it arrogant to claim two plus two is four? No, we, just, we address the truth of that. Okay, so claiming Jesus is the only way isn't arrogant, it's just either true or false. Okay, so the question I ask is this, did Jesus himself believe to, that he was the only way? Let's, let's start with that. Did Jesus believe that he was the only way to heaven? And the answer is resounding yes. Not only does it say it here in John 14, 6, but he showed it by his actions. Okay, let's say that Jesus did not believe that he was the only way to heaven. He thought that Muhammad's teachings were as legitimate as his, that Confucius's teaching were as legitimate as his, that New Age spirituality, well, as long as you're just a good person, you're fine. He would not have gone to the cross. He would have, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he was looking at crucifixion and the horrors of that, he would say, hey guys, you know, I think you gotta follow this guy named Muhammad even though he hadn't lived yet. I think, I think in about 700 years, his teaching, I think you need to follow those. I, I, guys, just be a good person, okay? Just be a good person because if I'm not the only way, I'm not going to the cross. But obviously Jesus believed himself to be the only way because he was willing to go to the cross. His actions showed that Jesus himself believed he was the only way. And if Jesus himself believes him to be the only way, I am not going to be arrogant enough to say there's another way. And neither should you. When you agree with the Son of God, you're on good territory. When you think that you know more than Jesus, you're on bad territory. You're not being faithful to the Word of God. We're not arrogant enough here at Catalyst to claim we know more than Jesus does when it comes to eternal life. Therefore, we will always preach that Jesus is the only way because Jesus believed that, Jesus taught that, and that's what the church was built on. And you may be a wonderful person, may really like you, but if you do not believe Jesus is the only way, you're not a Christian. I'm sorry, like I said, you may be wonderful, you may be kind, you may be loving, but if you do not believe Jesus is the only way, then you're negating the number one reason that Jesus came to this earth. It becomes this watered down, meaningless, pointless thing vaguely called spirituality. If we're not unified in the two things, the Bible is the word of God, and Jesus is the only way to salvation. Those are the essentials of the church. And if you agree with those, then, then, we, then, then, then that's great. If you disagree with those, then there's not much I can do for you because that, those are the essentials. And it is an imperative that we get the essentials right, you all. 
Because what happens when we get the essentials wrong? What happens when we don't have the essentials? What happens to a Christian or a church that negates those two things, that does not believe the Bible is the word of God and does not believe that Jesus is the only way to salvation? What happens? Well, it's interesting. We can look at that in real time. It's not a hard question to answer. I want everyone just to look around. Let's look around. For those of you who don't know this, Catholic Christian Church is the second congregation to meet in this building, not the first. This church building was, belonged to Nicholasville Presbyterian Church. It was part of the Presbyterian Church USA, which as a denomination walked away from those two essentials decades ago. They stated publicly the Bible was fallible and written for a different time and parts of it were wrong, written by men, all that kind of stuff. They stated publicly that all religions were equal and Jesus was one way among many. Where are they now? We're here. Nicholasville Presbyterian Church does not exist anymore. When you compromise on the essentials, you die. According to the most recent study I can find, the PCUSA, Presbyterian Church USA, has had the sharpest decline in their active membership among Protestant denominations in the USA. The denomination lost more than a million active members during the last 14 years. As of 2020, the denomination has 1,245,354 active members in about 8,925 local congregations. They lost half of their population, half of their members in the last 14 years, you all because they compromised on the essentials, and they're not alone. It's not just Presbyterian Church, Episcopal Church lost one-third of its members from 2010 to 2020. The United Methodist Church is an amazing study because it has such an international presence. The American branch of the United Methodist Church, which abandoned these essentials long ago, um, is in sharp decline. But the overseas United Methodist Church in Africa, which it preaches that the Bible's word of God and Jesus is the only way, is exploding in Africa and Asia. The overseas United Methodist Church is, is, is blowing up. It's reaching people hand over fist. And soon, the United Methodist Church in Africa and Asia are going to send missionaries to America to reach the heathens that walked away from the essentials. I could go on. Those numbers, mean, those numbers mean nothing to us. I just want you to look around, Catalyst. The Lord emptied this church building because they stopped honoring the Bible. And they stopped preaching Jesus as the only way. And he put us here with a, with a, with a commission. And are we so foolish to think if we abandon the essentials that the Lord will not close our doors and put another church here? Let's learn a lesson from history. Let this building stand as a stark reminder that we compromise on the essentials, God will remove us too. We must never compromise on the essentials. And there aren't many of them, only two. Now, in essentials, unity. And if that wasn't controversial enough, I'm sorry I'm being so controversial, this part's even worse, okay? It, you wouldn't think it would be, but it is. Okay, we move to the more controversial part, which are the non-essentials. And essentials, liberty, non-essentials, uh, so, and, and essentials, unity, and non-essentials, liberty. Okay, these non-essentials, this is where most of the fights start, over this stuff that's non-essential. Okay, this, now it usually starts with someone taking a non-essential thing, I'll, I'll get to them in a second, and putting them in the essential category. Okay, it usually starts like, like, like that. Um, and, and that's where all the fights start. 
Now, when I was in college and feeling called into the ministry, it was in the middle of what was known as the worship wars. Anybody remember the worship wars of the 1990s? Anybody old? Like these kids are like in the 1990s. That is so old, man. That is like, man, that, that's, that's, that might as well be the 1930s. Uh, there were sharp arguments between traditional and what? Contemporary, exactly. You, you alumni, you, you veterans of those wars. Southland pastor Mike Bro, upon, upon taking over after Wayne Smith, and this was in the Herald Leader, back when people read the Herald Leader, okay? Uh, the, 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 he showed up to church without a tie on, and he preached, not from a pulpit, you all, but from a music stand. And this made headlines in Lexington. It's like a nuclear bomb went off, you all. Then, to make it even worse, then guitars and a drum set appeared. Man, yeah. And all of a sudden, Hillsong's Shout to the Lord was released. And that, that was a can, okay, the Gen Xers, Gen Xers, my generation, you guys will love this. The shout, Hillsong's Shout to the Lord was the musical equivalent of Nirvana's Smell Like Teen Spirit. Okay, my senior in high school, it was all White Snake, Def Leppard, Van Halen, Bullet Boys, that kind of stuff. And then all of a sudden, Smells Like Teen Spirit dropped, and the hair bands were gone, and it was all Pearl Jam. Uh, that's not clapworthy. I'm still in mourning. I'm still in mourning that my beloved hair bands are gone. Okay, but the same thing happened when Shout the Lord hit. All of a sudden, it was like a tidal wave hit the church. And the arguments over pipes, pipe organs versus guitars, hymns and choruses, ties or t-shirts raged on in churches. So I have to think about that. We weren't arguing over the Bible or Jesus or making disciples. It was between what people believed. People believed that non-essentials were essential. Now what we believe is the essentials unity and the non-essentials liberty. So I'm gonna get controversial and say some things that may upset you. I don't mean to upset you. But I'm going to say some things here. I'm not saying the following things aren't important. They're important. I'm not even saying that they're irrelevant. What I'm saying is they are non-essential and that we need to extend liberty to people that have differing opinions on, on these things because that's what makes up the body of Christ. The first thing is this, the first non-essential that I'll identify is baptism method. Baptism method. Matthew 3, 13 through 17, then Jesus came down from Galilee and the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you and you come to me. Jesus replied, let it be so now, for it is proper for us to do this and fill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At, the moment, heaven, at that moment, heaven was open and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. Then a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Okay, so Jesus was baptized. We, we agree that baptism is something that every Christian should do. Not only did Jesus command it, but he did it, and, uh, and, and that's the way it is, okay? However, in, in Acts 2, 38, the first Christian sermon, Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Jesus, Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I had someone ask me one time, a kid at camp, if, it, it was, if baptism was essential to salvation. Can a non-baptized person go to heaven, he asked. On one hand, we're commanded to be baptized. We are. On the other hand, we don't believe that any human action can save you, only the grace of God. 
So I said, for, so I said, for example, let's say that um, someone uh, is on his way to get back. He, he, he's, he's accepted Christ. He's, he's confessed. He's repented. And he's on his way to get baptized. And he has a car wreck and he dies. Is that person in heaven? Or, is that what you're saying? He goes, yeah, that's exactly right. And I said, uh, he, he said, is that person in hell? Because he wasn't baptized. And I said, I don't believe so. I said, I could be wrong. We'll know when we get to heaven, I guess. However, I said, that's an extreme example. Should a Christian be baptized? Yes, you have no reason not to. And I believe baptism should be public in front of the church for two reasons. One, because it is an encouragement to the church and it's an example to follow. Second, if you can't profess your faith in church in front of people that believe exactly like you, what makes you think you'll be effective in the world? What makes you think you'll be able to live out the harder teachings of Jesus? So the baptism's the easy part, you all. That's easy. If you can't do that, you don't have much of a chance being faithful to Jesus anywhere else. Okay? But so here's the, here's the question, though. We practice, as a church, believer baptism by immersion. That's what we do. That's, that's how we practice it. What about someone that was baptized as an infant? Are they saved? I've had that question. Uh, my answer is this. Do you believe the church fathers like Martin Luther, St. Augustine, uh, John Wesley, John Calvin, C.S. Lewis, etc., are in heaven? Well, the person said, well, well, yeah. I said, well, they were all baptized as infants. Here's the question, you all. Are the doors to our church more narrow than the doors of heaven? Are we willing to say that your baptism is illegitimate when God said it is legitimate? Well, I'm not arrogant enough to do that. We shouldn't be arrogant enough to do that. We do not want the doors to our church to be more narrow than the doors of heaven. Okay? Baptism method, as important as it is to you, is a non-essential. Therefore, liberty. Okay? Second, Sunday morning style. I talked about the worship wars. But listen to what 1 Corinthians 9, 20 through 23 says. To the Jews, I became like a Jew. This is Apostle Paul writing. To win the Jews, to those under the law, I became like one under the law. Though I myself am not under the law. So to win as many, win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. Though I am free, not free from God's law, but under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak. To win the weak, I have become all things to all people that by all possible means that I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Like I said, I came of age during the worship wars. Battle of Sunday morning style. I think to myself, how terrible. How many hours have we spent arguing whether or not a pipe organ or a guitar was the right instrument for worship when we could have been spending that time winning the lost, discipling the committed? You know, there's some who like hymns. I like hymns. There's some who like modern worship songs. I like modern worship songs too. Whether your church has hymns or modern, modern worship songs has nothing to do with whether or not your church is right or wrong. All right? It's extremely short-sighted to think that one Sunday morning style is essential over another. When I was over in India, uh, it was a shock. My first trip back in 2012 was a shock to say the least. Here's, here's, they didn't use guitars. They used drums and a, and a keyboard. They said hallelujah about 10 times a minute. They spoke in tongues and shouted out loud. They didn't use the NIV or the King James. They used a Bible written in their language, the Telugu. Not one thee, thou, or thouest to be found. They didn't wear ties or t-shirts. They, they didn't have colored lights or wireless microphones. And Donovan, they all rode motorcycles. <laughs> and they worshiped God with a passion and a joy that I just loved. 
None of those styles mattered in their devotion to Jesus Christ. Remember, the Christian faith is not an American thing, American Christians. It's not an American thing. The Christian faith is spread to every corner of the globe precisely because worship style is not essential. God gives us the liberty to put the worship style in the context of the people being reached. That's it. So liberty. The church down the street that has ties and, and, and a pipe organ, they are our brothers in Christ if they hold to those essentials. And the church that, has, that, that, that dresses in, in, in jeans and everything that does not preach to Jesus, the Son of God, we are not in Christian fellowship with them. See, we have to agree on the essentials, that the Bible's the word of God and Jesus is the only way. Said so the people of India, the people of Nepal, people in every corner of Africa, people of Europe, they've all developed their own worship style. Worship style is not essential, as tough as that is for some people to hear. Third thing, and I get this question a lot from a lot of our people that are joining our, our wonderful newcomers. Um, the third one is this, denominational preference. One of the statements of the Christian church is this, we are not the only Christians, but we are Christians only. Acts 26, 20, Paul said this, and for the verse of those in Damascus and those in Jerusalem and all Judea, then to the Gentiles, I preach that they should repent and turn to God and therefore, and demonstrate the repentance by their deeds. That's what the apostle Paul preached. He said, repent, turn to God, and prove your repentance by your deeds. Anyone who does that, he says, you're a believer in Christ. And if that is what he, the apostle Paul is preaching, then that is exactly what we say. I've had the question, do Catholics go to heaven? I've had the question, do Methodists go to heaven? Do Presbyterians go to heaven? My answer, some do, some don't. It all depends on Jesus. Have they surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ? Have they repented of their sins? Have they received the gift of the Holy Spirit? Uh, uh, you know, and have they been baptized? You know, barring the car wreck on the way to church, I get that. Have they repented of the sins and given life to Jesus? Well, then yes. If they haven't, then no. And that goes for Catholic Christian Church. Do people at Catholic Christian Church go to heaven? Some will, some won't. It all depends on Jesus. Have you surrendered to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Have you repented of your sins? Have you been baptized? Have you taken, have you allowed him to take your sin away? Then yes. See, people, it's not about the, it's not about the name on the church. It's not about, it is all about the relationship with Jesus Christ. Denomination doesn't save you or condemn you. It is all Jesus Christ. So my question is, do you love the Lord? Do you love the Lord? Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? If you don't have that, then the name on your church doesn't matter. But if you have that, then the name on your church doesn't matter. Make sense? The third thing. Well, they said, in essentials, unity. We must be unified on the essentials. Bible's the word of God. Salvation is found only in Jesus Christ. And they're not essentials. Worship style, Bible style, it's the way you dress, uh, hymns or choruses, stained glass or blinds. Liberty. Must be gracious. And the third thing of this creed is in all things love. In all things love. Ephesians 4, 2 through 6. This became my verse that I clung to during the 2020 and 2021 tough times. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. 
one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. One of the saddest things I've ever experienced in my 47-year life, y'all, what happened two years ago. A new division appeared in society, and unfortunately, it invaded the church, too. Churches and Christians were sharply divided over mask mandates and social distancing guidelines. Far too many people place masks and COVID protocols in the essential category, determining whether we could have Christian fellowship together. I can have Christian fellowship with you if you wear a mask, people said, and I can if you don't. Other people said, I can have Christian fellowship with you if you don't wear a mask, and I can't if you do. And the ugliness directed towards me over that issue is like nothing I've ever seen. I was actually accused of not being a Christian. Someone actually believed that if I was unwilling to mandate that you wear masks here in fellowship, in our church service, I was no longer a believer in Jesus Christ. I was told that. And people who were friends of mine, my loved, who sat at my table, Christian fellowship, we broke bread together, we worshiped together, walked away from that friendship. And I, I'm sad to say I don't think those friendships are coming back. Many of us experienced that division. Many of us did. How terrible that it happened in the church. These people didn't leave because of the resurrection, or because of the Bible, or over Jesus, left over a government mandate that's no longer in effect, and soon will be gone forever. What far too many people have forgotten is this passage of Ephesians 4, that we are to be patient, bearing with one another in love, in all things, love. Many things I've talked about today are sensitive issues, they really are. They cause a lot of people a lot of pain. Worship style, music style, beliefs on baptism, these are big issues to people. Remember, in all things, love. Even in this congregation, we have differences, difference of opinion on a lot of things. But if we agree on the essentials, that the Bible is the word of God, that salvation is found only in Jesus Christ, then everything else can be talked about, everything else is fine, okay? Everything else, whether you like this style of music or this type of music, whether you like this translation of the Bible, this translation of the Bible, whether you like, uh, uh, then, then, then that is, and non-essentials, liberty. But remember, Christians, when you're discussing those non-essentials, all things love. Just because you have a very strong belief on something does not give you the right to be ugly, to disregard Ephesians 4.29 that says, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. In all things, Love, that is what we preach. That is what a church that stays faithful to the gospel preaches. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, love. I wanna invite the band to come on back up. If you have never been baptized, if you agree with those two essentials, that the Bible is the word of God and that salvation is found only in Jesus Christ, you have never accepted Christ, you've never surrendered your life to Christ, I wanna invite you to do that today because that's it. 
We, we preach what Paul preached, that everyone should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. That's what we are as a church. That's what we will continue to preach. If you have never accepted Christ as Lord and Savior, I want to ask you to do that today. We have baptistry right there. You already saw one baptism. Why can't we have another one? Um, during this last song, if you're ready, find the person that led you to Christ. Find the person that, uh, uh, that, that had the most influence on you. That's why Jenny was baptized. Did you know that? Because Jenny did most of the work. And so Jenny had the honor of baptizing her. We have no problem having moms, dads. I've even had a seventh grader baptize another seventh grader because that seventh grader did all the work and it should have the honor of baptizing. And remember, in non-essentials, liberty. So find the person that's led you to Christ that's had the most influence on you. Ask him to baptize you. Do it right now. But guys, remember, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, love.